0: Well, good morning, ladies. I'm so thankful to be here with you today. I need this conference a lot more than I need to be talking to you guys, I will tell you. Um, and we definitely need some Feminina in our house. I, um, <laughs> I'm married to a man who um, came from a family of four brothers, and so his, and his mother is just a dream. And so I just think that would just a dose of what it would feel like with, um, to be a girl. I have often wished for that, especially in labor and delivery. I want um, want him to know what we're going through. Um, I loved a lot of what Todd had to say last night. Um, it was like a drink from a fire hydrant for me of just getting us centered to where um, the world has pointed our attention and um, our expectations and what Christ has to say about who he's called us to be as women in his word. And um, I grew up on the fairy tale. I grew up in a small town in Tennessee, <clears throat> about 600 people, and um, I bought in to... The Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, all that stuff. I don't know if that resonates with any of y'all's hearts, but I really, my high goal in life was to be a wife and a mom. And I grew up in a very athletic environment, a very performance-oriented environment, and that if you did, thank you so much, Pam, if you did, you're into the deal, a very... Um, I think works oriented situation where if you put in your time and were a good little Christian girl then God was going to bring along you know a godly man and you were going to get married and have kids and you know that kind of was my highest hope and dream and I think we um I fed that lie a lot growing up especially in a small town I did love to read growing up with a lot of in 7th grade I can remember one of my best friends introduced me to harlequin romance novels and you talk about something that will change your view on life. When those come out six a month, and I just devoured every one of them i mean we'd go to the grocery store this little bitty grocery store in clifton and there they'd all be on the front of the magazine rack and i would just get every one and just soak them up and my mom i remember at that time looked at me and said you know what i wish you had never met that girl and um because i was just just locked in and little bit i know how true that was and how much that would play out in my life but i um, am a pretty woman kind of girl you know the whole guy comes along and sweeps you off your feet and your are knight in shining armor. And every book and every movie I watched just fed that reality in my head that that's what true love looked like. And that's what would happen if I just did my thing and stayed my game. And so I didn't have a big contract for God, but I had my own version of if i follow all the rules and do your stuff then um you're going to give me this is just what i want out of life and obviously it's biblical it's what you start out with at the first part of the bible like todd talked about last night and so i don't think i'm often asking for anything off the richter scale but i bought the lie you know and i drank the kool-aid that the guy was going to be my knight in shining armor and um that kind of came to a screeching halt um My senior year in high school, I was very tired. I had performed very well in all the arenas that I had chosen to participate in. But on the inside, I was just dying. I was lonely as could be. I couldn't get a date. The one guy that I had wanted to ask me to, um, you know, our prom, did ask me to my prom. You know, I'd ask him to the three events before that. So, you know, it was kind of like set up. That um, he knew I was kind of expecting it because neither one of us were dating anybody, and then never asked me out again after that. And I was just rock bottom. I'm like, God, I've done everything you've wanted me to do. I teach Sunday school. You know, I'm straight. I don't do drugs and alcohol, you know, at this point in time. I want. You're in. I want you to come through, and he didn't. And I think I felt like, in a lot of ways, looking back, what Todd talked about last night, when Eve was tempted by Satan in the beginning to doubt the goodness of God's heart, to doubt that His word is true, to doubt that He knows best, and I didn't believe Him enough in that March, April scene of my senior year to to really stick with Him. Then I walked away, and one of my The authority figures in my life, somebody that I knew and loved and trusted, looked at me and said, you know, I really wish I had the opportunity that Patrick has, because if I did, I would make good on it. And man, boom, hook, line, and sinker, because my heart, I longed to belong. I wanted somebody to look at me and go, you're worth the price that needs to be paid, you know, to win your heart. And, you know, this is an older man. He's, um, you know, in... Taking advantage, I think, of a young girl's heart in a lot of ways and the longing that I had to belong um, and didn't see that till later because it was such, you know, a dream come true for me, for anybody older that I wasn't even, you know, looking at to look at me and go, wow, this is somebody worth pursuing. And so that whole spring and summer was just spent. Um, doing what my flesh said was the right thing to do. And when Todd said last night, you know, you get yourself so mixed up in your head, you think it feels so good, it has to be the will of God. And many of us feel like walking out of the relationships we're in now, not necessarily walking into one, because it just doesn't feel right anymore. And I can remember looking at him and saying, this feels so right, it has to be the will of God. You know, because I I knew the Lord and I knew his standard, and I walked away from every bit of that because inside, God had not lived up to my expectation, and he hadn't delivered on his end of the deal, and so it wasn't until I got in college, and I got, thankfully, I didn't, you know, end up pregnant, and in that little small town, as, you know, with a scarlet letter across my my chest for the rest of my life, Um, that was not the plan God had for me, and though it easily could have happened, and I... um, made it to college and met all these godly Christian men and I'm like, wow, this is what I almost passed on. But I was still pursuing very much the MRS degree and still looking for that satisfaction and um fulfillment in a relationship. And so needless to say I became the pursuer. I was not, you know, I was the one who was putting myself in the right path as I knew his class schedule better than mine and so I would just intersect him on the way or made sure I had lunch in the cafeteria that he ate in. I mean I had the whole script written out. And, and was really hungry for that and looking for that. And um <clears throat> came into a Bible study on with Kay Arthur, um, one of her studies on the um, Beatitudes, and where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I really realized my basis and my salvation had come from how I performed and not what how Christ had performed and what he did for me on the cross and what he accomplished for me. And that he is my Savior and he is my satisfaction, and that I don't have to perform for God. So when I took me out of that performance equation, I also took God. God's accomplished all he needs to do to save me and to satisfy me, and that's in Christ. And so it kind of goes, well, you know, if God doesn't have this agenda for me that I add all these things up and I earn a spot on his team, then I shouldn't have all these things for God. Maybe he's got his own plan and purpose for me. And so I started kind of starting to surrender myself to him. But all, the one thing that I held back, God, I'll be a missionary in China. I'll go to South America. I'll do whatever. But I really want to get married and have a family. You know, so in the back of my mind, that was always lurking. In every relationship I would get in, I would suffocate the man with my need for him to make me feel whole and complete. And um, that um, came to a grinding halt, you know, about, I was 25 or 26, and I had a counselor, we were sitting in a group session, looking at me and um, told me that I was basically going to end up in a dysfunctional relationship with a man who abused me if I kept... Operating on that standard, just looking for somebody to fulfill me on a level that only Christ could. And I cried for three days after that session and um, really came to understand that that, um, I was looking for a man to be my Savior. And once I realized that Jesus really was and that only Jesus loved me on that level and to that deep way, it really freed me. And John, my husband, um, who's talking with the guys now, knew me before... (laughs) that period of counseling and God really kind of reconstructed my expectations and thoughts and he knew me after. And it wasn't until after that he said, you know, have you ever really thought about dating? And I think what he sensed in me was the freedom to do what you feel and the freedom to be who God had created him to be, not who I needed him to be. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning is um, what our make is. As we look at the Bible... And by the way, these green cards that they gave you, in case you started writing on them, they're not note cards. different exercise we're going to do at the end of this session. And so your notes are in here starting on page 15. If you want to take notes, and you may just want to listen. There's not quite as many blanks. Todd had so many good things to say last night. Um, but one of the things that it tapped into for me as is how much, um, in Psalm 35, it says, God delights in the well-being of his people. And that he designed us and he created us. And from the get-go, he had a plan and a pattern that was meant for his greatest glory and our greatest good. And when Eve chose to doubt God's goodness and step away from that plan and step outside the boundary that God had set for her, that's when the trouble happened. And when our communion with our husbands... Our soon-to-be husbands, or maybe want-to-be husbands, when that starts to be broken, it's when we start to doubt God's heart and God's best in mind for us. His delight is in our well-being, and we start to doubt our husband's heart, that he really wants to love us. We start to, to treat him almost like the enemy like he wants you know this whole thing of my, his needs, my needs, who's getting met, what our agenda is. and um. I know a lot of us, including me, really have grown up in an era where we have a hard time looking at the word submission. We have a hard time looking at the word surrender. We are brought up to believe that we are equal. And we are, as you see in some of these verses, created equal in God's sight. He doesn't look at a man and love him better than a woman. But that's the horizontal. When we look at each other vertical, there is an operating system that he has put us in where it works best with a man in the lead and a man at the head. And we have been so, I think, tainted um, by the world and so disappointed in many ways by the authority figures we've had, we have divorced that. And that's where the crux of a lot of, especially my issues in marriage, come. I doubt God's heart for me. I doubt John's heart for me. And then I start to operate under my own authority and step out from under that umbrella that God has put over us. But it tells us in Genesis 2.18 that we were created to be a helper suitable. Now, I know that I need help in a lot of dimensions of life. We have five children, seven and under. I can um, just tell you story after story after story that I am just put flat on my bottom every day. I mean, I, um, they are just, they're just too many, and we're not in a parenting session, so I have to be careful. Um, but I do need lots of help, to say the least. And I don't, I don't have any problem putting my need for help on John what I do have a hard time is directing my need for help where it needs to be, which is towards God and getting my best, my best needs met and my deepest needs met from him. So we are created to be a helper suitable. Now, we want help, but lots of times we don't always want to be the one to give it. We don't want to be the one to surrender ourselves to that. And we kind of take offense at being told that we're called to submit, especially when we're in relationships with men we don't respect anymore or that we're not quite sure we can trust you know, to know best. And I know that's hard for a lot of us in the room, and I I don't want to tap dance on that at all. Um, But still, the call when you have surrendered your heart and your body um, to a man in marriage is to be his helper suitable and to come alongside him. And one of the things that stood out, and I've, I've looked through a lot of what Judy and Lucina and some of the other ladies have taught that really helped me see this in a clearer light is to know that God calls us his help. He is not ashamed to be called our helper. And that part of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. It says that Jesus told us in John 14 that when I leave, I will give you um, another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. That word counselor is paraclete, the one who comes alongside, who encourages, who lifts you up and carries you along. God himself in Psalm 54 calls calls himself, surely God is my help. It is the Lord, the one who sustains me. And so... The line above that and under um, the two hub heading, our subheading, our model, the Trinity models true community as should our marriage. They have this mutual submission and surrender to each other to do what's best. When Jesus was faced with the cross, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he laid himself down. He humbled himself before his father and said, I really don't want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. He became our help. In that situation. He became our um, salvation. And um, one of my favorite hymns, one of the lines is where it says, See, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Um, That is God. I mean, he is our help, he is our hope, and he is our home. And my expectations were so tainted and so flawed coming into marriage because those were all the things I was looking for John to be. I had arrived. My dream had come true. And um, it's, you know this was kind of telling for us. When we got married, you know, we had 12 weeks to plan our wedding. It was a short engagement. But uh, one of the things that he had always wanted was when we danced our first dance to be to the... Um, song what a wonderful world you know it would be and we were just so excited about that and had danced to it several times leading up to getting married and just loved it well we get up there and you know it's our time in the spotlight and we're out there and all of a sudden you are so beautiful just comes belting out of the guy's mouth and we're both you can't stop dancing so we're just kind of like what's he singing Who said that? Did did you tell him to sing that? I didn't tell him to sing that. And so we're out there having our first dance, having this conversation about who picked the song. And I'm like, well, we just got to go with it. And so we just went with it. But what it just boom hit me head on is life is not always going to be what you expected and what you ordered up and we you know did not get to dance to the song we wanted to dance to and we still both look back on our reception and that's one of the highlights that we remember is every time we hear you are so beautiful we're like ah, 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 yeah. you know that's what it was but you know it just wasn't what we expected and so one of the things I want to get at Um, today, is how do we alter those expectations? How do I take all those years of marinating my heart and mind in Pretty Woman and Harlequin Romance novels and Joanna Lindsay and all these people and, you know, really cleanse and purge that from my system? The fairy tales, the Cinderella stuff that, you know, we start spoon-feeding our babies from the time they can watch TV, that someday my prince will come. How do we take that out of our system? And put God's truth in there. How do you alter your expectations about what a real, true, Christ-centered marriage is going to look like? And I think that has to come from getting ourselves aligned with the Word of God and what He says. Now, we've already touched on this, but Galatians 3.28 and 1 Corinthians 11.11. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, as far as the vertical goes, we are not, you know, secondary. God loves you and adores you, male or female. Um, we don't want to call that into question. And we are all one in Christ. He sees us as his body, as his bride. Um, so, in a lot of ways, we have it a bit easier on the guy in terms of relating to God because we understand what it feels like to want to belong and to long to belong. We don't fight, our, struggle, our hearts don't struggle as much with independence as theirs do until the distrust issue comes in. Um, So that's that's all true. Having said that, in Corinthians, we're commanded by Paul, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. So Christ is our model. You know, We have seen him fully surrender himself to God the Father, and we are called to fully surrender ourselves to him. In light of what he's done for us. He is, there is power that he gives us through his spirit to be able to do that. So what does that look like? I mean, that's a lot of the theology of, um, you know, the helper suitable. And we, that's our assignment from the get-go. God saw that we were to complete um, the picture as far as man goes. And I don't know where your heart is in any of that stuff. But I can imagine if your heart's like mine, I'm kind of having one of those weekends where I, um, woe is me. You know, I did everything to get, you know, everybody ready so I could be here and we could be here. And, you know, my spreadsheet looks pretty full and his looks like he just packed his bag. And, you know, it's like I'm kind of I'm kind of in one of those woe is me. I withdraw. I withhold. You know, I'm looking at the stuff last night and I'm like, I'm not going to talk about the wrongs that I've bought into, but I sure talk about a few that you've bought into. You know, it's like... Where's that? And then I'm standing up here in front of you guys, and I'm like, I'm not so sure. You know, this is going to be anything. So I'm hoping God uses some of this scripture, because you've got a heart right now that goes, I'm just not yeah, not quite buying into this stuff right now. And that may be exactly where you are at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's like, eh, not what I'm looking for. Kind of like the Prince, the knight in shining armor thing. Can you go back to that for a while? But um, our mindset, my mind is what has to change because I really believe that our actions follow where our heart and mind is set. And Colossians three three, one one of the verses that the sweet lady who taught me about... Um, The fact that being poor in spirit does not just mean that poor people get into heaven easier than rich people. It actually means that you need to know you need Jesus. Um, She also taught me Colossians 3.3 and it says, For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And the question I have to ask myself each morning is, Have I died to myself? You know, when that baby starts waking that, making that 4.30 wake-up call, you know, and Jaybird comes in about 6 o'clock, and there's no time for a quiet time, and there's no time to get myself centered or just barely up out of bed before the thing starts to call. And, you know, am I dying to myself and my life is hidden with Christ in God? Or is my hope and my expectation somehow hidden in what these people are going to do for me? Our mindset, we were created to complement and not to compete and when my agenda and my expectations start revolving around me and getting my needs met, I start to compete with John for authority in our marriage. And I start to compete with him for my rights being, my needs being met, my rights being addressed. You know, all this reciprocity stuff of if you do this, then I'll do that, and we'll work it out together. But I start withholding and withdrawing based on him not feel, fulfilling his side of the contract. And... Um, And I don't compliment him. I don't look at him and go, how can I help you? Um, And I really am a helper. I don't know if any of you guys out there are doers. I love to help people. I love to see something that needs to be done and do it to serve you, to entertain, to fix a meal for you. I just love that. I've always really risen to the occasion of that. But what I see is I can do that for a pretty long time. But then if I sense that I'm hitting a wall and I'm really doing all the work and you aren't, then I really start to withhold and I start to come back. And um, what I need to realize is, in that instance, I'm not doing that for fun and I'm not doing that for free. There's an agenda that I have and I'm looking for some some kickback. You know, what is the payoff for you in this situation? And I have to get back to the fact that our payoff comes from Christ. He is our wholeness. He is our sense of completeness. Um. um we will compete for first place in our marriage. If, we are not, if he is not our help, our hope, and our home, as it says in section 4, we are not complete in him and we will compete for first place in our marriage. Our wholeness has to come from him um, and has to come from Christ. Now, I'm just going to sit here and put out a question to you because I really think it boils down to do you really um, want to answer yes to this question. Do you want your marriage to be great? Do you desire for your marriage to reflect Christ, you know, and his love for the church and his His communion with his people? And if you do, then you will buy in to the script that he writes out for us in the Word about how that operates best. If you don't, then you will find your own version of it and you will surrender yourself to what the world says it's about. And And I think I fight that battle every day. I have a little girl in my house who was born a princess. Um, I mean, her first outfits were dressed up. She is a diva from the get-go. As you can tell, her mom is not. And so I'm just sitting here trying to get my mind around, okay, how do I parent this child? And she told me she prayed her whole, um, I think it was her fifth or sixth birthday, I'm pretty sure it was her fifth, all day long, when she would pray for her meal or whatever, she's like, God, I really want to be a princess. Please make me a princess. I want to be a princess. And I go, honey, why, why do you want to be a princess so bad? You are a princess. You are God's child. He's the king. You know, all this neat theology I'm trying to weave into her mind. She looks at me and goes, nope, princess has servants and they don't have to work. And I'm like... I got that. Yeah, I understand that. Okay, I got that. And so then we're sitting before, I mean, this is like early on. And so she's getting how this whole system works. And so I'm I'm like, you know, the whole God being your king and your princess, it's not translated into everyday life. And so we're getting ready to go to Estes Park summer before last. And we're sitting there. um, For some reason, we were looking at the states at the map and looking at where Texas was and Colorado. And she looks at us and goes, I really wish. The United States of America had a king. And I'm like, what? And where is that coming from? We live in a democracy. And so me, the pontificator, goes into the democracy and how beautiful it is that we all have representatives. And that's why we left the bad king in England and all that good stuff. (laughs) It is not flying. And so she looks at me and goes, no, if we had a king, then there would be a prince and I could marry him. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, that'd be nice. I'm like, but what if he was a mean king? What if he was like Nebuchadnezzar and all those people and, you know, the king that we left in England and he didn't love Jesus and all that stuff? I said, would you rather have a man who loved Jesus and was poor or a king who was rich and could give you everything you wanted but didn't love Jesus? Oh, by far the king who was rich and had everything I wanted and didn't love Jesus. And I said, honey, I mean, that could end up really bad. She's like, Esther did it. (laughs) And so I can see that I've been working. This is the way that, you know, like when it says in Genesis 3, I mean, and she comes out with that stuff all the time. One time I was painting her nails. This is more than you need, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. I was painting her nails, and she's like, oh, isn't it so cool? Daddy is the king of our family, and he's the king, and I'm the princess. And, you know, she's kind of getting into that at that point in time and starting to buy it a little bit. I'm like, yeah, and who am I? Who does that make me? She's like, you're the cook. I'm like... Oh. that's me that's me that's my role in life i'm the helper suitable you know and my four year old barely four looked at me the other day and i was getting on them about picking up and making a mess and putting their stuff away and and i'm like look if you are going to live in my house you are going to do this and you're going to put your clothes where they go and that's part of us being a family and a team and she looks at me with those big green eyes and goes it's not your house it's daddy's house I'm like, huh. And she's like, I'm like, no, no, no. It's, it's my house, too. She's like, he paid for it. I'm like, darn it you know? So all this surrender and submission stuff is this you can tell, I'm having issues with it in my identity. And so I say that because um, of this next verse, which completely kicks my tail. Um, This is a one-catch phrase. Laura McBride gave me this, and I love it. It's like, I may be sitting down on the outside, and I may be up here speaking at the marriage conference on being a godly woman and a biblical view of marriage, but I am standing up on the inside. And I see it in my four little girls. Not so much Lucy, she's just six months, so she's really not standing up at all yet. But the rest of them, I see them standing up on the inside and going, it is about me, the world revolves around me, you are here to meet my needs, and if you're not, get out of the way. You know, and I feel that. And, you know, my mom raised that same heart, you know, and then I fed it the world's lie that, yeah, that's really true. And not only that, but there is a man out there who's going to come along and really make that dream reality. So you marry that heart that says, I am a diva, I am a princess, and I need servants and somebody to take care of me with lots of money who can buy me gifts. And you marry that to the world's image of what marriage is supposed to be like, and you're set up for a huge fall. And the curse says in Genesis 3, what Todd talked about last night, it says that your desire will be for your husband, but he will always rule over you. And post-fall and pre-heaven, we are in a vicious cycle of a man chasing his identity and what he does and how much money he makes and how he performs and us chasing those men looking for our security and significance and salvation. And it is a vicious cycle and nobody wins. And the only way that that starts to become even bearable in reality is when we both take our eyes off each other to meet our needs and start focusing them on Christ, and then that triangle starts to come together, you know and we come closer to having our needs met and working as a team as we move towards Christ. So are you today sitting down on the outside you know doing what Todd talked about last night? The adult says, "Yes, I really want a family that has a godly model and a biblical basis." But you're standing up on the inside, and you're really demanding that this man be something that only Jesus can be. Now, that's something you have to deal with in your own heart. the verse that really crucifies me, um, if I will look at it on a daily basis and gets this whole princess thing in line, says, Jesus tells us, not so with you instead, when somebody had asked him, how do you become greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and I want to sit beside you, and I want to be your right-hand man. Um, He says to them, whoever of you wants to be great among, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came not to be served, but to serve. And my heart, girls, I don't know if you're like this, has a really hard time getting around that. You know, I just want somebody to take care of me. You know, to nurture me, to pour into me, to do the things that Todd talked about last night, the unconditional love, the pursuing, the initiating, the serving. I want that, but for some reason I won't look to Jesus for that, but I will look to John for that. And that's just mixed up. That's what the world tells us is right, and it's not. My goal is satisfaction, like Todd said last night, um, happiness and salvation in my spouse. God's goal for me and this was a real wake-up call have you guys ever heard that story maybe an urban myth I don't know about this little boy who goes to kindergarten and um, he's been doing a half-day program in preschool and he's real excited about that so about um, lunchtime he uh, goes to get his bag and get his coat and his mom has signed him up for full day kindergarten he didn't know that and so he goes to get his coat and get the door and she's like honey what are you doing and he's like oh it's about time to go home it's 12 o'clock on the clock and And um, she looks at him and goes, no, you're going to stay and have lunch and we're going to have a rest time and some more lessons. And pardon me, but he looks straight at her and goes, who the hell signed me up for that? (laughs) And I'm like, that is so me. Because I get into marriage and I get into parenting and I'm like, I did not sign up for this. This is not what I bought. You know, you get it home, you take it out of the package, this is not it. So, pardon me, but I mean, I did not sign up for sanctification, God. I signed up for satisfaction. I did not sign up for holiness. I wanted just to be happy, happily ever after. That's what the fairy tale said. And I sure did not sign up to be a servant. In fact, I'm really with Caitlin and I'd like a few myself. You know, that is is God's goal for us. And and when our hearts are full of His love and we are whole and complete in Christ, which honestly, you know, my heart is struggling to be right now. I'm not surrendering myself to the disciplines, availing myself of the word. I'm neglecting God and my heart's kind of caught in a vicious cycle of woe is me, um, which I think you're getting a taste of. So the, um, the, the servanthood part, but that is God's best for us. And if we really want our marriages to be great, I have to stop listening to Satan who wants to tell me, who wants to steal and kill and destroy and lead me astray astray and make me doubt God's heart and doubt his heart for me, John's heart for me, and wants to turn my eyes um, away from God and turn them back. So how do we do that? That's a lot of the theology. We'll turn the page. We'll go to our method. How do we become a helper suitable? And the key, if I need a litmus test or a gut check to am I really willing to surrender myself ...to God and submit myself to John. Can I look at him and go, how can I help you today? What can I do? What can I take off your list? And girls, most days I can't say that. Most days I want him to take things off my list. And that tells me that God is not my priority. He is not my priority. My children, you know how Todd talked about last night, the world has become inverted. Me being the mother I want to be and the neighbor and the friend I want to be... ...and impress all you guys or all my neighbors... Has taken and just raised kids that aren't just you know loopy. Has taken precedence over my relationship with God and my commitment to my husband. Do you guys know who Minnie Pearl is? She was great, Grand Ole Opry star, and in my region of the country, Tennessee, she was a big deal. And um, and so she had this saying: "I'm just so glad to be here." And you know her her co partner, the guy she um. Would run around with, I'm forgetting his name, would come up and I'm just so glad to be here. And have you ever been in the car with somebody who you know knows how to get where you're going and they know better and faster and you're making all the wrong turns? And just that tension between they're not driving but you are and you're trying to figure out the best way to get there and you may be making a few wrong turns along the way. When John and I were first in our dating relationship, I can remember going to visit him at business school or going on a trip with him because we had a long-distance relationship, which is probably why he asked me to marry him because he didn't have to see me on a day-to-day basis. And so he, we would get together, and I didn't care if we were in Boston or San Francisco or whatever. I was just so glad to be there, and I just didn't have an agenda. I wanted to be with him. Okay? That has long since passed. You know, I am in that passenger seat and I know exactly where we need to go and how we need to get there. Last night we turned left on lovers and I thought we should have turned right on lovers and he heard about it until halfway up the tollway, you know, and he was right. His choices turned out right. But just the day-to-day surrender on how do I, how can I serve you today? Can I just keep my mouth shut and just be along for the ride and be happy that my husband has taken me to a marriage conference and we're talking about these things. Um, How can I say that and really mean it? First of all, the H-E-L-P, and you'll have note cards after this that will help you. I'm just going to kind of run down through some of the things that, some more practical things. Um... Know that God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. That's the H. And he actually gave you a husband to make you holy. In Ephesians 5 where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Right after that it tells us that the husband is to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. God's verse, God's crux of what his purpose for a man in your life is to make you holy and the way he does that is by bringing you to the end of yourself and teaching you that your call is to serve and not to be served and it doesn't sound right but that's what works that's 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 how we our wholeness our holiness our completeness has to come in christ okay ways to do that hear his heart um, lots of H's. We don't listen to our men. We have lists for them and I have the gift of gab and he'll say something and I'll talk for five minutes and he'll say something and I'll talk for five minutes. And. That we don't listen, we don't hear his heart. And Jay, my little boy, I have one little boy in the midst of all these little girls, will just come to me during the middle of the day and just hold up his arms. He just wants to be held. He maybe has gotten a boo-boo or he's tired or whatever. It is the most precious thing. And lots of times, not all the time, I will drop what I'm doing and just hold him and snuggle him because I know those days are past. That is John. He is that little boy that God has given me. When he comes home at the end of the day, when he calls me during the day, he doesn't need to necessarily hear about everything that's going wrong in my day. He's doing this. He wants me to hold him. And how long has it been since you wrapped your arms around your husband and looked at him the way his mom looked at him as a little boy who just needs a hug? We forget to do that. They are so precious and they are so tender-hearted in these big boys' bodies and they just want to be held, you know. And um, I've got to get back to that. I've got to hear his heart. I've got to hold his hand. It says, if you withhold love when it was, is within your power to do it, it's a sin. It says that in Proverbs three twenty seven. Do not withhold love when it is within your power to, do, to, to give it. We withhold. We don't get our needs and expectations met. We shut down. That is Deadly. And it says later on, and we'll talk about this verse later, but Proverbs fourteen one, A wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, a foolish one tears hers down. And do you know how most of us tear our houses down? Like this. Stiff-necked. We don't embrace. We don't reach out. We shut down. And so it's not physically throwing fits and raging around and being angry that's going to tear your house down, although that does a lot of damage. I can attest to that. It's putting your hands behind your back and going, you're not getting anything off me. No love, no affection, no how's your day. My needs and expectations are not met, and you're going to know about it. And that, you know, that silent treatment is just deadly. So, you you know, and we're called to heal one another's as well as his hurts. It says if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. And they don't find us safe places to talk about their sin a lot of times. We're not safe. We use them as bats and ammunition. To get back at him. So what I see with his holiness, if our wholeness and completeness is in Christ, we're a harbor for him. We're a safe haven that he can come to for rest, for refreshment, for encouragement when things hurt him. You know, but lots of times my heart just does not offer that. And marriage will progress, especially for those of you who are engaged. You are not the Holy Spirit for him. I really was deluded and thought I was the fourth member of the Trinity for a long time. (laughs) I thought that at 20, at 40, I'm not quite so sure. But we are not the Holy Spirit for Him. We are a mirror, as we'll talk about later, that just accurately reflects God's truth to Him. Mirrors don't change you. They reflect the truth. And we're called to be a mirror for him. Somebody who holds him up to the word of God but reflects his dignity and his worth and his beauty and and really cherishes his tenderness. Marriage progresses through the honeymoon phase. How can I live without you? And there's a song about that. To the heartbreak. um, Who is this guy and why did I marry him? And I really don't want to live with you anymore. You know, and a lot of us sitting in the room are kind of there, um, are, are headed that way. To the harvest. We reap what we sow. God cannot be mocked. If you sow servanthood and surrendering yourself to God, and surrendering yourself, submitting yourself to your husband in marriage, you will reap what you sow. And it will be a harvest of righteousness. You will reap destruction and death of your marriage and your relationship and your own heart if, um, if you choose to please your flesh and choose to look to get all your needs met. Um, a lot of this, girls, and I will say this point blank, cannot happen in isolation. As Todd talked about last night, we need to be in community. If your man is at a place where he is taking advantage of you in ways that is not, are not healthy and are not biblical, only community will show that out. If you are hiding in your marriage and you are keeping it at home and keeping it to yourself, it, Satan will have his way. But if you are in community, you can live as a servant and let the body hold him accountable for ways he's not submitting himself to God. Okay, so it's a both-and. This happens in the context of community, you know, because there are women who will just prostrate themselves before their man forever and just be a doormat, and there's no community around him to hold his feet to the fire. And that's how the body works. So don't be fearful of laying your life down if you're in community. Um, Encourage. Um, I do believe I have the gift of encouragement. It has left me. And gone somewhere else. But it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And one of the things I'm coming in touch with right now, and I'll just share this with you. This is extra because it doesn't fit in the E thing, is how much I love to blame. I love to blame a lot. And one of the core issues in my life is I want to get the responsibility off my plate, onto yours, so I can feel guilt-free and shame-free. That does not marry well with my gift of encouragement. You know, because if I'm criticizing you and cutting you down and letting you know what you didn't do, I'm not building you up. And words have the power of life and death. Those who love them will eat their fruit. In Proverbs 12:18, it tells us that. And we can either empower our man with our words and our tones and our eyes to be the men God created them to be, or with our snide little remarks or our lack of encouragement, we can tear them down. And we choose um, you are a mirror. You are an image. But mirror God's truth to him. Um, enjoy him. Find two or three great things to say about him every day. I really loved it. When you, blah, blah, blah. That was great when you did that, especially in front of the kids. And one of the de- ways I can turn my ship around during the day, and this is on the next page when I give you some examples of what the H-E-L-P kind of might look like, is I start praising my husband with my kids. Do you know what I love about Daddy. Do you know what he does? Do you know how neat it is that your daddy does X, Y, and Z? And I guarantee you it's going to come back from them to him, and he's going to love it. Is that really what she said about me? I can't believe that. You know, Mom, Dad said that you blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's so fun. And at night, we try to encourage each other. Guess what so-and-so did during the day? And, you know, I will make myself try to find good things, which it's not hard if I choose to look that he does during the day, and thank him for those. Verbal affirmation is huge for John. That's one of his big love languages. And our expectation is in Christ, not him. This is one of the neatest things. It came out of um, Sacred Intimacy, I think, is the book. um, The guy who wrote Sacred, Parenting and Sacred Marriage, wrote it. Uh, But um, it says, express yourself in short sound, sound bites, and then ask, say, hey, now what do you think about that? Three or four sentences is all they can handle, all they can ingest at any point in time. And then ask. Say, do you get that? What do you hear me saying? Because when I go on this five-minute thing, like I had this epiphany with the mini pearl thing and how I just want to be the passenger again and I just want to be so glad to be here. And I just went off on it one night to him and he's sitting there kind of halfway listening. I'm like, what do you think about any of that after five minutes? he "Um," He said, well, I kind of like the mini pearl thing. And that was it. My whole epiphany was just completely lost, but I just drug it out for so long that it just it didn't find a place. So three sentences or less and then ask. Um, L, two things. Dr. Laura says, which is an L word too, and I like that, but you look to his best interest and not your own, is let him have it. You want a well-fed man. A well-fed man will give you 80 to 90% of what you want, and he's got two main appetites, okay? He's got his stomach and he's got his need for intimacy, okay? And if you are feeding both of those appetites well, one of the things I will encourage you in this is you've got to learn his love language. Does he want quality time? There's a great book on that. Does he want affection? Does he want you to keep the house all straightened up? What speaks love to him? And do it. And find out what his number is. Get his number. How many times a week does your man want to have sex? You find out verbally what that is and do your best to meet it. Now, I, if you are in abusive and, and bad situations, that's one thing. That is a main need for him. Okay? And if we are not feeding him well, his appetite's well, we're, do you know that halt thing about if you're hungry, angry, lonely, you know, that tired? If they are hungry sexually, they're not going to be. They're going to take that interest and look outside your marriage for it. They're going to find love in another place because they will get that need met it's just basic instinct and i think that we have got to let our grudges let our things go we have to let him lead do the little things lay down your agenda a lot of we've talked about this reflectively listen to him tell him what you hear his heart saying not what you wish he would say and then let him have it we um drive away men by our, by neglect of you know what they need on the table and what they need in bed um you guys, Do you guys know who Michael Buble is? He has a song called Everything. And, you know, on these days, these kind of Hadassah days, there's a series called The Mark of the Lion by Francine Rivers that has helped me so much in marriage because these are Hadassah days for me. When I wake up in the morning, I do feel like I'm just putting it on the table all day long and have very little left at the end of the day. But there's this song called Everything. And as I listen to it, I just weep. That is what I felt when you saw that picture up there last night. He was my everything. And so I started playing it in the bedroom when we go to make love. And I'm telling you, it does a number on me. And it puts me back in the thing where I do want to jump his bones. I do want him. You know, I don't just want him to rub my back and find something that gets you there. And there's my timer going. I guess I should have stopped about two minutes ago, but that's okay. It's been nice talking to you guys at this conference because you probably won't see me again. But the um, the thing about um, you've got to find something that gets you there. And whether it's a song or whatever that puts you in the mood to, you know, Make him feel like you really want him and he's loved. And the last one, which is the most important one, is to pray. Um, that is where the power comes. It says, Paul says, he prayed. We constantly pray for you that your God may count us worthy of his calling and that by his power we, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours. Okay? God has his purpose in mind. And the power to live that way comes in the prayer. Okay? And in the... Um, in praying and knowing and doing God's will um, for your husband, it's not praying your agenda for God, it's praying or for your husband, it's praying God's agenda for him. And the power is there. And be careful when you look on your prayer request list are you praying your agenda? For him to become the man you want him to be, are you really in touch with who God wants him to be? Persevere. It's a long, hard road. Remember, sanctification is God's goal. Repent often and well. I am amazed at what saying I'm sorry and I'm wrong can do in my marriage. And I'm like Fonzie. I do not say wrong well. But if I will say, I am so wrong and I am sorry, and here's how I know I hurt you in that. No buts. It would just... Opening up in the pillow talk that can happen, you know, when you're really willing to go. I've just let you down here. Praise Him, um, you know, build Him up. Um, your purpose is to seek God's plan in your oneness of mind. Um, it says in, in um, Ephesians, I think our Philippians said, I pray that you will have the unity and be one in spirit and purpose. To be one in spirit and purpose in your marriage means having God's agenda and living that out, not yours. And if you want to be one in spirit and purpose, you need to know what God is calling your man to do and to come alongside him and help him be great. Okay? And then your marriage will be great if you are pursuing God's best will for him. Um, and just laying your agenda down. And passion. Help him find his passion. I think a lot of the guys in our generation are floundering around. They don't know who God's create, cut them out to be or created them to be. And they're having a hard time. And so you're trying to follow somebody who doesn't know where he wants he's supposed to go. So that's why we have to pray together and pray in community to find God's best for him. Because if he's floundering, you're floundering. And that's hard. I, I, just, I don't even know the answers for all those questions. But men are having a hard time finding their purpose and direction even what they want to do to make a living. I mean, how many of your husbands have changed jobs five times? You know, and that creates some insecurity and some base issues there. And so um, pray for God's purpose with him. Three books, as I wrap up and we go on to our exercise, that have really helped me this last year. Um, Lies, Women, Believe. I think it's Nancy Lee DeMoss. And it... um, It has been profound for me. It's short sound bites because I need things I can take to the restroom and really read the two or three pages and get back out pretty fast. Um, It helps. There's a hundred of them. They're in sections from Lies We Believe, like Todd talked about, about God, about ourselves, about marriage. And if you get that in order, you get right with God, you get yourself, you draw the circle around yourself, work on what's inside the circle, and then start working on your marriage and stuff, You, you will have some some positive impact. And then there's this book by Stephen Stevens called 20 Rules and Tools to Make Your Marriage Great. And that's a paraphrase on the title because it's kind of long, but it's 20 Rules and Tools. It's Stephen Stevens. It's a little devotional type thing. And the first thing on it was prioritize your husband. And I... Prioritize your mate. And it's written to both the guy and the girl, so you can read it together. It's three, two or three pages a thing and a prayer at the end. It has helped so much because I need sound bites right now, not just John. And this is my favorite title If Mama Goes South, We're All Going With Her. <laughs> and it talks about how you've got to grow as a woman. If Mama Ain't Happy, Ain't Nobody Happy was her second title. And I'm just saying that you've got to be growing in Christ if you want your marriage to grow. You can't make it. Conditional that i'm going to get fired up about jesus when he gives me the husband that i want doesn't work that way so one of the things we're going to do is working on the encourage thing right now Um, i want you to go over to um that you know the they have done such a good job with this notebook can we give these guys a hand for the notebook that they have put together these tools we cannot go home and say we don't have tools to make our marriage great if we just walked through the exercises they have here our marriages could turn around um, but anyway, there is some things we will do. Let's like talk about. Um, but one thing and one gut check I will say is be willing at the end of this note that you're about to write to go, Honey, let me know how I can help you. One of the things I said to John is what is par for you, what is it would be nice, and what is over the top. And I made him write out things mm-hmm. under each of those categories. I asked him for that list because I was getting so big on my agenda in his head. For him, from, from me, I had lost what his agenda was for me, and so every day try to do something off the par, try to do the par, you know. But what, it would be nice, honey, if you would, you know, return the phone calls that are left on the home answering machine and not just get mad at me because I never listen to them, and so you don't return those phone calls, you know. Are the and then the it would this is over the top. I know I'm asking for a lot, but know what his list is. Pick something um, that's kind of. That's a little extra, but put out in your note to him. It's got the love letter instructions on page 20. You've got your green card. And um, we're supposed to, let's read through that and, and, and do that together. And then I think we, it, we're going to break it about whenever you guys are finished at 1015, 10, 1020, 10, and then come back in here for the McGee's and the streets, which I'm so excited about. That'll be fun. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the men that you have given us. Thank you for... Um, entrusting to us some of the most precious of your creations. And we may not all see them that way right now, but they are, and they're our trust. That's what you're going to look at us at the end of our days and go, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you took care of my baby boy. And I pray that each one of us could take care of those baby boys and that um, we could use this card and this time and this weekend to just do an overhaul on our hearts, to surrender ourselves to you, to submit ourselves to them and to um, be the women that you created us to be. And I pray that each one of us would walk forth encouraged to serve rather than be served and to lay our lives down as you laid your life down for us. And give us the power to do that, to be the helper suitable that this man deserves and to ask him and pray over and really, really make him our priority. And Lord, some of us just don't want to. We've lost the want to, but as the Skinner guy said last night, it's not about what we want. It's about what your agenda is for us and what, what the best that you is for us. Crucify and expose the doubt in our hearts for you and the doubt in our hearts of these men's love for us and uh, bring us back to a fully devoted position in marriage of surrender and submission. And we love you and thank you for this time. Inspire us with words for them on these notes. In your name we pray. Amen.